Welcome to a conversation powered by Connected Learning, where we chat with some of today's leading minds about new learning approaches designed for the demands and opportunities of the digital age. Connected Learning values the new ways many young people today access information, gain expertise, and learn alongside peers and mentors using the internet, social networks, and digital technology. We're excited you're here to join the conversation as we seek to make learning relevant. Hi, this is Lee Rank. I'm the associate producer at the Connected Learning Alliance. Today, we're talking with Larissa Pohmoff about connected learning, specifically her experience with and insights on how connected learning relates to teachers and the classroom. Hi, Larissa. Hi, Lee. Just to highlight, Larissa is an English teacher at the Science Leadership Academy in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, the Academy is a partnership high school between the School District of Philadelphia and the Franklin Institute. It opened in 2006 as an in inquiry-driven, project-based high school focused on 20th century learning. 21st century learning. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Lisa, Larissa, to start off, um, actually in that same suit on 21st century learning, there seems to be a consistent thread of conversation around this, especially among educators, that we really do need to shift our education paradigm to the 21st century. Um, you and your school are really trying to do this, move the classroom in that direction. How would you describe and say your classroom is different than those in most schools? And what challenges have you faced along the way in, in making this update to the 21st century? You know, it's funny because, um, and not to criticize like the 21st century learning phrase, but the truth is, and something we've sort of discovered here, is that um, when you unpack what 21st century learning means, is that they're actually pretty essential skills that we theoretically also were learning or wanted to learn in the 20th century, right? Like, you know, cooperation, connected learning, um, project-based learning, like uh, dynamic back and forth between teachers and students. Like these are all values that have actually existed for a long time. Um, one thing that makes it a little bit different for us, uh, and I'll go into greater detail later, is our one-to-one -one laptop program where students just have a powerful tool at their fingertips um, and it is handed to them in a way that really empowers them to make the most of it. So instead of like a top-down instruction where we're just giving them textbooks on their laptops, they're really using their laptops as creation tools um, where they are creating content, they are sharing that content with each other, they're doing research to support that work. Um, and because of that and the way that we approach the technology, that I think is what really makes a difference. And have you faced any challenges in your own classroom? Do you have any examples where um, a laptop has been difficult or any kind of moving away from the standard education? Um, have you seen any challenges? Well, yeah, I mean, and again, just adopting a laptop doesn't automatically mean you're moving away from standard education, quote unquote. I mean, we meet as more and more districts and schools begin to adopt one-to-one -one programs, we have more and more people coming to visit who basically just had the same curriculum they always had and then just like slapped a bunch of laptops on top. And then when they come here, because we were consciously thinking about, okay, how do we design our school to really incorporate use of technology in a new way, people are, I don't know, impressed, surprised, um, sometimes even initially shocked at like how integrated it is. And by integrated, that doesn't mean we use it all the time. Um, I mean, certainly there are really explicit times where my students are expected to not be using technology. That's all a part of the learning process, managing your own use, you know, with, with guidance from the teacher, obviously, um, but figuring out when, which tool is right for you at which time. 
Um, I was actually going to address that later, so maybe we'll skip ahead. Um, since your school does have a one-to-one -one laptop program, and you have mentioned that a lot of people come in and have seen place other schools where, oh, it's just a textbook in a digital form, and, and you're all right. using um, right. laptops in a different way. Um, do you mm -hmm. have any examples of what are your students doing on the laptops um, since they're not just reading a textbook in a new digital format? Are they writing a blog? or what, what, are, what kind of projects do you assign them, and how does that work? Sure. Well, I mean, when mentioning blogs, so every year each course uh, has, you know, uh, a private course management uh, page where assignments are posted and all of that. But each course has also issued its own public blog, which is hosted on the school website. So not every single little assignment, right? Like we know that presentation is a value of ours and that you really have to polish work if you're going to present it to the general public. But, um, you know, in every course, students will be posting multiple items in ear a year to that public blog and really showing off their best work. And that's a very standard expectation here. Um, and then what kind of work they're posting, um, one of the great things about laptops is the ability it gives students to create audiovisual content um, and multimedia. So we do plenty of traditional essay writing, don't get me wrong. Um, but we also give students a chance to, you know, tackle major themes through video, through um, new multimedia presentation programs like Prezi, right? So we're not just making slideshows every day. Uh, through audio recordings, they make professional-sounding podcasts. Those are, you know, just a few mediums. And as especially as they get older, when we assign projects, we start to say to them, okay, you picking the medium is a part of you designing this project, right? You're not just picking the topic, but you're also picking the method through which you will communicate the content, right, to the viewer or the reader or the listener, whatever it is. Awesome. And actually kind of along that same frame, um, lately there's been a mm -hmm. lot of emphasis in the K-12 space to have teachers shift their style to more of a learning facilitator. Um, right. And young people could even experience connected learning entirely through a peer network. So based on your experience in the classroom, how do you see teachers fitting into this um, connected learning environment? And how do you see it with your, because you were saying just then that you kind of give your students a little more leeway on what they're choosing. So how have you adjusted your own teaching style? Um, well, it's funny that you say adjusted because I've, I've worked in other schools, but my first full-time teaching job was here. So for me, it wasn't a huge, as much of an adjustment as it was like an evolution within my own classroom. Um, but the answer is that you have to create a scaffold that is really strong. I don't want to say rock solid because it's not rigid, right? But you have to create a scaffold that, you know, will work for different students um, and is adaptable but still provides them guidance. And then you also have to be ready to help facilitate and guide you know, 33, that's how many kids are in a class of mine, right? 30 plus different ideas from beginning to end. Um, so it, on one hand, it's incredibly uh, challenging, you know, because you are engaging. It's like if you're in a conference with everybody over the course of one class period, you might engage with 30 plus different ideas, which can be exhausting. But um, in the end, it's much more rewarding because you're not pushing a really strict prescribed curriculum on them you know, and having them reject it, you know, and then you have to cajole them or bribe them with candy or whatever it is, you know, that teachers do to get kids to buy into, like, their curriculum, quote, unquote. Um, here you say, well, like, if you don't like it, come up with something else, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, 
you're the, you're the one who's making the decisions here. If you're really unhappy with this project, you can throw out your proposal and come up with something new. You know, but you, but then you also have to follow up. Then you're then you're going back to the drawing board. So it it puts more um more pressure on them in a good way. We often talk about connected learning as a three so the three R's, we add a fourth R. So the first three R's are reading, writing, and arithmetic. And we add the fourth R, which is relevance. And that's kind of what you were just talking about, making learning relevant to the child. And uh -huh. why do you see this need for relevance um, as important for youth in general and um, for specifically for youth in your classroom? Well, I mean, like, don't you remember being bored in high school? <laughs> Doesn't everyone? Like I can't, you know, I, yeah, like, I can't, I can't believe... Whoever that person is who said, no, I was interested in everything, like, I don't believe them. Um, and they should probably not be allowed around actual teenagers. Like, um, <laughs> and, and, and I want to qualify that, too, because the, the answer is not, and I think this is why people are sometimes nervous about, you know, relevancy or making it relevant to the kids is that they think, oh, well, you're just going to let kids do whatever they want all day, right? Is that, like, relevancy gets um, conflated with fun right, or, like, attractive or whatever, um, and that you you do have to create themes and essential questions and, like, deeper explorations that get kids beyond the surface. You know, I, and I think um, one good example is with my 11th grade students, I asked them to do um, some media analysis where they pick a video text, you know, often it's a commercial or a music video, and then I give them uh, all of these media literacy questions where I'm asking them to do, right, some visual analysis and look at the deeper themes that are being presented, not just through the lyrics of the song or the, you know, text of the ad, but how the um, video is composed, right? What are the costumes? What's the lighting like? Who's the target audience? Who's being excluded? These are all things that we start to use. So, like, you know, the video that whatever music video or ad is, like, stuck in everybody's brain, whatever was on the Super Bowl that year, we watch that and then we unpack it, right? So we start in a place that is like, you know, immediately out of our pop culture lives, but we go somewhere valuable with it. We're not just like taking a break. Awesome. It sounds, your costume sounds really fun. <laughs> yeah, it, it is really fun. That's the thing. Like, and because then you get to say to kids, all right, we're going to do this activity. What do you want to watch, right? What do you want to use? What do you want to plug into this activity? Um, so you give them flexibility there, but you also keep the bar high that like we're going to do something analytical and challenging and meaningful with it. It seems like you're addressing a lot of the connected learning principles. Um, the three learning principles, just to remind everybody, are interest-powered, peer-supported, and academically oriented. And then there are mm -hmm. three design principles, which are production-centered, openly networked, and shared purpose. Um, I'm curious, which is your favorite and why? And, and do you have any examples of specifically seeing them or using them in your classroom? I, I, to pick a favorite is like, I don't, I'm not sure how to answer that question. But I could say for, um, the, for the ebook, I wrote my, my contribution is in the academically oriented section um, because I wrote about uh, sort of taking traditional essay writing and adapting it to be more portfolio-based via using Google Docs. Um, and that was, came out of concern that, okay, we're doing all this great multimedia stuff. We know this is meaningful. Our kids love it. They're like, we see their critical facilities improving. 
But, you know, after they graduate, they're going to be in lectures with 200 people, you know, cranking out essays or taking blue book exams or doing something that's much more traditional, right? Um, so here we wanted to make sure that we were uh, meeting those needs that we knew kids had or they were going to have. Um, but we also didn't want to fall into the trap of just saying, oh, well, we'll throw all of our other good stuff out the window, right? And we'll just go back to sort of boring old essay writing. So we used um, Google Docs to design a template and peer editing protocol uh, where students use their Google Docs to post a rough draft. They peer edit with a partner. Comments are left on the doc. Um, their teacher reads their final draft, makes additional comments, and then they do a reflection for themselves at the very end. And so we basically captured, you know, the portfolio process because these accumulate over the course of a year, and then um, twice a year they have to write like a meta, a meta essay, looking back, right, and looking at their trends, both their strengths and areas for improvement. Um, so that was an example of a, of a very, the format is very traditional, right? They're writing analytical essays, but we really infused it um, with some connected learning principles. Actually, a question came off of that, because I know you said you um, have an 11th grade class, and you mentioned there that these kids do go on, or some of these kids might go on to a institution that is very standard. They're going to write essays mm -hmm. in blue books. Um, have you gotten any feedback on what um, the older kids that have moved on to a college or university or whatever their next step is on on how di that different learning environment has affected them? Or even if you haven't heard from a student, um, have you as the people in the school talked about um, what might be next for them? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, I mean, you know, we've gotten we've gotten lots of different feedback. Uh, the nice thing is that humans are resilient. <laughs> and so even there are definitely kids who have come back and said, oh my God, I didn't know what a college lecture looked like. And now I'm in one and there are 500 people there and, you know, 20 TAs and it's like to them, you know, it's a foreign country, but that doesn't mean that they like curl up in a ball and are unable to function. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I think we, we try when we're, guiding students through the college selection process. We definitely try to talk to them about what their college options are in terms of learning style. You know, because often with colleges, you're saying, well, do you want big school or small? Do you want urban or rural? Like, you know, um, and we really, really try to encourage students to go sit in on classes when they, if they go visit schools, um, just to see like what their freshman experience will be like academically. Um, you know, and we like we have in in some ways our education really primes kids if they love it here and they say this is for me, right? Then we are encouraging them to go to smaller liberal arts based schools. Um, but that is not to say that those are the only types of institutions that our kids end up at. That's really great information. And and you mentioned earlier that this is your first full time teaching um, job at the the academy, and. So I was going to ask, what's the contrast between, you know, a previous, you know, standard classroom? Um, so and I won't work off that, but what is your favorite part about working in a 21st century, quote unquote, classroom? Um, what are your favorite moments throughout the day? Do you see any differences between when you were a student and, and how you, differently you're working with your kids now? It, it, sometimes it's hard to go back and remember exactly what that was like. Not that it was so long ago for me. Um, <laughs> what's the favorite part of my day? I, I mean, I think because there is this understanding that nobody holds all the knowledge, right? Nobody is the gatekeeper. 
um, that we are all in this together, right? And so um, kids don't, you know, kids come to me looking for guidance, but kids don't come to me looking for answers necessarily. And in my classroom, I don't have the burden of being the person with all the answers, quote unquote. Um, you know, it's like uh, when I, we're doing poetry right now with 10th graders and um, I talk to them about how there's this game that teachers play called Guess What's in the Teacher's Brain, where the teacher asks the question that theoretically, especially in humanities classrooms, where like theoretically there should be a, a range of interpretations allowed, right? And that there's not some secret interpretation for literature all the time, but that the teacher really just wants you to say what they're thinking. <laughs> Um, and that, and I tell them straight up, I'm like, I really hate that game. I try not to play it. If you catch me playing it, please tell me, <laughs> like, <laughs> please, please call me out on it. Um, because you know, poets, like you can't, you won't necessarily be able to convince me that this poem means whatever you want it to, but I don't have a right to say, no, it only means this one thing. And it definitely cannot mean what you think it means. Um, so, and that's really liberating, you know, like. It's, and it certainly makes it more interesting for me because I'm not just standing there with this binary of right or wrong in my head. And some great information. I love your comment on, on guidance instead of all having all the answers. <laughs> um, well, we're coming to the end of our conversation. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to mention any project or event or publication that either interests you or maybe an event you're going to or you've heard of or you've um, kind of pointed out to your students. Um, and also, if there's a way for people to connect with you online so they can find out more. Sure. Um, that's a lot. Uh, well, I, I blog uh, at El Pahomo, which is L-P-A-H-O-M-O-V.wordpress.com. And there, if you want to get in touch with me personally, um, you know, my email, my Twitter, you can hook up with me there. Um, as far as, like, upcoming events and Publications to read. I'm, I mean, I'm really, I should say we at SLA and me as one of those people really blessed to have um, a lot of staff members who are active in professional development and um, publishing and just sort of putting ideas out there. So I'm, I'm spoiled in that I get, you know, I get to come to work and have the conversations that I think some people only get to have when they go to conferences. Um, so I, I don't, I mean, it's not, I've, I don't have like a particular conference in mind right now. Oh, because, no like, worries. If I, a, if I have a problem, I can just like talk to my coworkers <laughs> about it. Like, or if I need inspiration, I can just wander into another classroom. Um, well, that's yeah, always I, a great I mean, environment to have. <laughs> well, and that's something that I should say too, is that, you know, I don't know if any listeners are in Pennsylvania, but SLA has um, a really like nice open door policy. We have visitors all the time. You know, students are not phased when a stranger walks in and just wanders around and starts to ask them questions like they're really used to it. So, and, you know, once every few months, somebody contacts me and just says, hey, you know, I want to come see the school. Can I come see your classroom? And the answer is always yes. Um, so people are definitely encouraged to come visit. We like that. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you for giving that little shout out. I did not find that out mm -hmm. online. So I'm sure mm -hmm. maybe you'll have a couple extra people knocking on your door. <laughs> mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us here at Connected Learning today, Larissa. We really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for joining us here at the Connected Learning Alliance. If you missed any of this conversation or want to listen to more discussions, check out our website at clalliance.org or subscribe to our podcast channel on iTunes. See you back here for more talks with change makers and thought leaders who are building the next generation of learning.